Boys, girls, it's still to choose. You chasing a bit of country and western wear with a bit more style, a bit more flair, a bit more sass. Countryduds.com.au have got you covered. From flannies to t-shirts to trucker caps, they've got it all. Go and check them out. They've even teamed up with me to bring you the ultimate Sunday outfits. Every month, new Sunday outfit comes out. Get around it. Wrap your body in it today. Countryduds.com.au Boys, men, fellas, blokes, are you chasing some accessories, some fashion accessories? That's right, lads. Go and check out aemanstore.com. These guys have got you covered. From wedding bands, to general male rings, to flick lighters, to necklaces. Honestly, these guys are going to bring you more class than a teacher. Fellas, spruce yourself up. Make the missus go, whoa, baby, come at me. aemanstore.com. Ball bags and front bumps. You want a new boat, but you can't afford it. Why not make the old boat look brand spanking new? Jump on boatratmafia.com.au. These guys got you covered. They have got ready-to-go wraps. Punch in your measurements of your boat. Pick a design. Bing, bada, boom, they'll send it out to you. Want something custom? Send them an email. Boatratmafia.com.au. The Blind Man Dan Podcast is proudly brought to you by Country Duds. Guys, if you are chasing country and western wear, look no further than countryduds.com.au. These guys have got it all, from flannels to t-shirts to trucker caps, and they've even joined forces with me to bring you the ultimate Sunday outfits. Countryduds.com.au. Get your body wrapping it today. And astute eclectics. Now, these guys are bringing more class than a teacher to men's fashion. Guys, they've got it all, from the fancy flip lighters to the wedding bands. And if you want something special, they do custom engraving. Check them out, astuteeclectics.store. All right, boys, girls, to choose. Blind Man Dan's poor sight. Poor bastards running into objects in the broad daylight. Blind Man Dan's now live. This is a hazard. So nuts, sacks and front cracks, listen up, enjoy the ride. That's right, legends. Welcome back to another episode of the Blind Man Dan podcast. So we'll uh, pick up from where we left off last week. Quick recap. Just talked about how um, what it was like growing up with my parents and the sort of work they did and the situations that got me in. Uh, towards the end of the last episode, I was just telling you about how my father wanted to leave uh, leave my mother. and uh, So we'll get dived into that. So at the time when he wanted to go... Um, I have two sisters. I've got an older sister and a younger sister. Now, my older sister um, is a couple of years older than me, absolutely beautiful girl, but she does suffer from a learning disability. So you could say that she was more in the mind of a you know, a teenager than what she is now. Uh, she was away on holidays at the time. Now, we decided to wait uh, for her to get back from her holiday before we told her about the breakup. And we didn't want to ruin her holiday. Now... Within the two weeks that she was gone, some friends of my mother's came forward and said that my father had been very inappropriate towards them and was you know, trying to make a move on them, buying them lingerie and whatnot. Um, so obviously I have found out about that and I have lost my shit. I have gone ape shit at my father and I told him, I said to you, I said if there was any other women, I would wipe you. And he said, I stuffed up, I'm sorry, I thought they... I thought they were keen on me, and, um, you know, you guys have made a mistake, I'm sorry. 
I was pretty pissed off. I was pretty wild. Um, you know, it was like a whole world was falling apart. We, you know, one minute I thought I had this amazing tight knit family, and next minute we're nothing. Um, so I, I ended up forgiving him and said, "Look, you're a fucking idiot. You know, you're still my dad. Uh, let's try and move forward, and um, you know, get this happening." Now it's getting close to my sister returning from her holiday, and the old man rings me up a couple of days out of you know her coming back, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I don't know how your sister's going to take it, mate. I'm really worried about how she's going to take it. I don't, I don't think we should tell her." I was like, "Well, we got to tell her, Dad. Like, you know, when she gets back, you're not going to be here. So, what do you mean? Oh, I'm just really worried about how she's going to handle it. You know." I was like, "Well, we'll find out." Anyway, then it was like the day before that she's due to return back, and he calls again. And um, I've been talking to him throughout the two weeks, you know, trying to help him get a, a new place and settle in and try and get some sort of new life on track. So there's the day before, and he rings again, and he's freaking out. Like, he's he just sounds a bit antsy. And I said, you know, what's wrong? He goes, I just don't know how she's going to handle it. I'm really, I'm really worried how your sister's going to handle this breakup, you know. Just, just tell your mother we'll get back together. You know, let's just forget all this and let's get back together. And I said, no, Dad, you're not getting back together. That's not happening. You know, you've been chasing two of her best friends. It's not, it's done. So I, I'm trying to, you know, trying to calm him down, let him know things are going to be all right. We'll get him sorted. You know, they'll figure out what's happening. Just, it's just all too raw and real at the moment. Anyway, the next day, uh, my sister now, Jill, arrived home. And I went to get in the car to go pick her up. Now he rings as I was getting in the car. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm about to go and pick up my sister from, you know, the train station. Oh, Dan, I really don't know about this, mate. I, I don't, I just don't, just don't tell her this yet. I, I don't know how she's going to handle it. And I said, why are you so worried about this? What's wrong? You know, is there anything you need to tell me? Is everything okay? Yeah, 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 but I'm just worried about her, you know. You know how she is, you know. I said, all right, I'll, I'll let you know. I said, when I get her home, I'll, I'll settle down and I'll tell her. So I went and picked her up from the train, and she was all happy, and, you know, been on her holiday and whatnot, and so I took her back out to the property, and, you know, I take her inside, and he rings again as we're about to go inside. What are you doing? I said, I just got home. I just, just got my sister home from the from the train station. Oh, mate, I just, look, don't tell her yet. I don't know what to do. You know, let's, let's, your mother and I could probably work it out, you know, and, and I said, it's not happening. It's done, Dad. It's done. You're not, you're not getting back together. She doesn't want to get back together. It's, it's you're done. I said anyway. We're about to sit my sister down and tell her. I'll let you know how it goes. And he's like, oh, all right, okay. So I hang up. I walk inside and I sit. I sit her down on the couch and I had my mother, my younger sister, and my girlfriend at the time all here in the la- in the lounge room. And um, so we sit down and we say, look, uh, mum and dad have broken up. And she said, yeah, I know. And I said, what do you mean you know? How do you know? Oh, Dad rang me, you know, a few days ago and, and told me. And I'm, I'm just looking at her dumbfounded. And we all we all looked at each other dumbfounded. Like, what What do you mean? So I just left the house, walked outside and rang him. I said, what the fuck? Like, what's going on? He goes, what? I said, you've already told her. You've already told her that you split up. He goes, oh, mate, I was worried about it. I didn't know what to do, you know. I just wanted to give her a heads up and... I said, I literally was just talking to you a minute ago, and you're freaking out about her knowing, finding out. Like, what What the hell's going on? And he goes, oh, nothing. I freaked out. I freaked out, and I 
Yeah, I, I think I forgot. I think I forgot to tell you. But yeah, I, t- I told her, and yeah, I didn't. I didn't know how she's gonna take it. You know, blah blah. And I said, I, I said, is there anything you need to tell me? Like, what is going on? I said, this nothing's adding up here. Um, you know, is there anything you need to tell me? He goes, no, nothing, nothing. I said, look, I gotta go. I gotta go and I gotta go and sort this out. I said, I'll call you back. So I've hung up, and I've walked inside back to the lounge room and I witnessed the most horrific freaking scene I've ever seen in my life my mother is on the ground absolutely screaming um, my sister's crying my younger sister's crying my girlfriend she's bolted she's crying and it's just all hell's broken loose and I said what what's going on what's happened and mum looks at me from the floor and says your father's been having sex with your sister and I just froze. I just I turned to my sister. I said, "Is that true?" And she said, "Yes, it's true." So I've immediately turned around, walked back outside, rang him. He's answered straight away, and I have just gone absolutely ballistic. I am screaming at him, saying that I'm going to kill him. And I'm just screaming over and over again. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. He goes, "What? What's happened? What's happened?" And I said, "You've been having sex with my sister." His response was, oh, fuck. I said, what kind of sick cunt are you? He said, I'm sick. I'm one of the sickest. I could not believe that he had just admitted it to me that he was doing this. Because I tell you right now, if he said he didn't do it, I would have believed him over my sister hands down. He did not once defend himself. He just said, I'm sick. I'm one of the sickest. I was just blown away. I could not I could not believe the fucking words I was hearing out of this man I just fucking idolized. I did not expect that. If he said he didn't do it, I would have believed him over my sister. So I went on to screaming at him, I just wanted to kill him. And I said, Where are you? Because you want to meet I said, I'm gonna come and kill you. Where are you? So I've run into I've run to the shed and I've got a crowbar and I think I had my like a hunting knife on the dash of my cruiser. So I've jumped on my cruiser, started it, and I've taken off down the driveway. Now, I've got him on the phone the whole time uh, This I'm doing this. And I'm screaming at him, and I'm saying, where are you? He goes, where do you want to meet? Where do you want to meet? And I'm screaming at him that much, and just saying, you know, repeatedly just saying, I'm going to kill you. And I end up, I could feel myself blacking out. I couldn't see, like my eyes went blacked out. And I went from screaming at him to saying, Dad, I'm, I'm blacking out, I'm blacking out. And it was, it was really weird to think back now, like I've gone from absolutely wanting to kill this man to then uh, looking for comfort at him, out of him because, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm going to black out. Anyway, as I've come to, my girlfriend had raced up to the car and she had pulled the keys from the car. As soon as I came to, I was back into kill mode. I just screamed at him again, I'm going to kill you. And uh, I said to him, meet me at Deerigan Police Station. Now, that's a police station on the northern side of Townsville. He's all right, all right, I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there. Now, this is all on a Sunday, mind you. So, my girlfriend wouldn't let me drive. They took the keys out of all the vehicles, and I made her drive me to the police station. Got to the police station, and um, when I got there, like, it was a Sunday, no one was there, but there was, like, a timber pallet at the front of this place, at the front of this police station. So, I've gone to this timber pallet, I've ripped the pallet off this pallet, and just waited for him, and... Uh, now my old man's a big man. He's you know he's six foot six. He's fucking 
big, very well built and doesn't mind doesn't mind a rumble. And I'm obviously none of that. So the um, I got this piece of timber in my hand, and he never turned up, but the police car turned up. So I've run down, chased this police car into the police station. Whole time I've still got this piece of timber in my hand, not even thinking. So they've jumped out of the car, hand on holsters, dropped the piece of timber. I'm like, holy fuck, this is just out of control. We've um, I've gone to the police station, I've told them what's happened, and they've then taken me out, taken uh, me and my girlfriend back out to the property. Got back to the property, my mother's in shock. Um, she had to call a, a paramedic friend of hers that came there, and mum was in shock. It was, was a, it was a very, very wild scene. It was fucking gut-wrenching, and it haunts me every single day, that scene. We end up all getting in police cars and going into the Townsville Police Station, and we had the detectives, and they did interviews on us. So while I'm doing the interview, my interview, my statement, um, the phone rings, the detective's phone rings. Now, my father had managed to get a solicitor on the Sunday. Now, he's, he's a criminal barrister. He's, he's apparently he's known as a very dirty barrister in, in uh, Townsville. So he gets his barrister and um, the solicitor, and it's him on the phone asking the detective if we're going to bring his client in, if they're going to bring the client in for questioning. And the detective just said, I'll bring him in when I'm good and ready. They never did. They never brought him in. They uh, took my statement. They took my mother's, my girlfriend's, my sister. And um, they never brought him in. So it was, it was fucking, it was the most wild day of our lives. And it's a day that just haunts me forever still. We ended up going back home to the property that afternoon. It was fucking terrible. And then obviously I had a lot of questions, you know, I wanted to talk to my sister. And I said to my sister, when did all this start? And she said it started when I was four years old. And he taught me how to pleasure myself at four years old. And it just grew from there. Um, and so many things in my life that made sense of how he was. Things that I never thought of twice at the time, but then everything in my life, the way my father was, made sense. Just little things. There was one day there, I was about 16, and we had a fight, me and the old man had a fight. And I stormed off down the hallway, and as I went to go into my bedroom at the end of the hallway, uh, us kids had our bedrooms all at the end of this hallway, so I went to turn to my bedroom, I could see my sister on her on her bed, and she's like, it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she's in the fetal position, on her bed, crying, in her pyjamas. Anyway, I've gone up, and I've, I said, sis, what's wrong? What's going on? And she was so upset. She's just howling. And I've, I've hugged her and she's crying and crying. So now I've, I've started getting a bit emotional too because like, my sister's so upset and I couldn't figure out why. And she ended up just saying, just brushing it off. And she just said, oh, I just don't know how to talk to people. And I was like, oh, you know, I think, I think you're a bit more upset than that to, just for it to be that. So I went on, I, went, I got back up and I went back down the hallway to look for my mum so mum could come and you know, comfort her. Anyway, as I got to the end of the hallway, I turned, and here's my dad across the living room, and I looked at him, and we've locked eyes, and this, the look on his face was like, oh, fuck, and he sort of stepped forward and panicked and went, Dan, I'm sorry. I said, it's not about you, you fuckhead, and, and I kept walking to find mum. But for some reason, even before I found out what he did to my sister, was doing to my sister, uh, that look haunted me. Like, I never forgot it. 
I just always had that in the back of my mind for some reason, that look. So it turned out that so my younger sister would dance um, pretty much seven days a week from from four years old. She was just a dancer. So every day after school, uh, my mother would be with my little sister at dancing. So mum wouldn't get home pretty much every night you know, until 6.30, 7 o'clock, sometimes 8, 8 o'clock at night, every, you know, pretty much um, seven days a week. When I got my licence, the old man used to ring me without fail when I was working. Every day, without fail, he would call me and say, um, you know, what are you doing this afternoon, mate? Just coming home, you know, what are you up to? And, and I just thought his dad being dad. And I just thought he's a legendary father, checking up on me, making sure I'm all good. And, um, you know, just being an awesome dad. And I said, oh, no, I'll come straight home. Or, oh, can you, can you go and get me some filters for the bobcat? Or can you go and get me some oil for the truck? Every day, you know, he sort of come up with something. I go, yeah, yeah, no worries, mate. All good. Yeah, all good. So it turns out he was... Um, doing it to my sister, you know, like um, two to four times every week. And he'd be ringing up to make sure he had enough time to do it. And some of the stories he... Some of the stories my sister's told me of what he's done, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the stories in the podcast because honestly it's it's disgusting what he's, what he turned that girl into. And it's just heartbreaking to know that my sister has had that life while here I am thinking that I have had the most fairy tale upbringing my sister was going through that and it's just gut-wrenching i just could not believe we went that long 20 years without knowing that my father was a pedophile and and his victim was my sister i said i asked my sister i said how did you not say anything like what did he say to you that made you not say anything now, this is what he knew he was dealing with. This is the mental capacity the man knew he was dealing with. He told her that he wouldn't let her watch Home and Away anymore. That's that's what he knew he was dealing with. He could get away with saying, I won't let you watch Home and Away anymore. And he goes, oh, your mother won't let me see your little sister either. So many things make sense now in life. So many things. We used to sit. It was, used to commend this every night. We would turn off the TV and we would sit around the family kitchen table and we'd eat dinner together every night. A lot of nights there, we'd be laughing and joking and carrying on. And then my sister would just start crying, and I couldn't understand why she would just start crying. And um, she now tells me that it was the way he was looking at her and what he was saying, and it, it's just the way he was looking at it. It's like I own you. You know, you're mine. The poor girl, what she had to endure was just absolutely disgusting and devastating to hear. And I hate, it's, it's been a very hard time handling this because I hate myself for not picking it up. He, um, like I say, there's so many things made sense, you know. At the end of the hallway was our bedrooms. At the end of that, at the end of the house, out to the side of the bedrooms was the, was the big shed and we had all the, all the stuff. So he put a big spotlight on the side of the um, side of the house. Now he put the switch to that spotlight in my sister's bedroom. There was many nights there I'd be going to the toilet and I'd come out and my old man would be coming out of my sister's room. And I'd go, oh, what's going on? He goes, oh, I heard something over the shed. I'll just turn the light on. So, oh, yeah, cool. Thought nothing of it. Why would I? Why would I think anything of it, you know? 
And there's all these things now that keep flooding back to me, and it's just they're haunting me. These memories that are coming back. So what that done to me was turn me into. I could almost say an alcoholic. I was drinking probably three to four cartons of pure blonde a week. Very angry. Oh, fuck, I was an angry little bastard. Um, I got a lot to thank to my best mate. He dropped everything and came and um, he came to live with us for a couple of months and absolutely saved us. You know, for the first month, you could say, no one wanted to sleep in their bedrooms. They're all too scared to sleep in their bedrooms. So we put all their mattresses in the lounge room and... Um, the girls would sleep in the middle and I'd be to the outside, my mate to the outside, and we'd, we'd both have, you know, a weapon. I went to Bunnings and I bought every spotlight known to man. I lit that property up like daytime. I just had the spotlights run all night. If he was going to turn up, I wanted to have some sort of chance that I'd, you know, see him. Every morning I got on my motorbike for the first, you know, first month or so and I'd ride, ride the whole property. And I thought, for sure, this man is so proud of himself that he's going to kill himself he'll come out here and hang himself or something because he's not going to be able to handle people knowing this. But he never did. He never did. They took... They couldn't go any further with it because it came down to my sister's word against his. And they wanted a specific date of when he'd done it. And my sister said to them, it happened two to four nights a week, you know, for for as long as I remember, since I was four years old. And she told him all these stories of what he used to make her do. Um, lots of things that made sense. Like, fuck, that's why, he, you know, that's why he done that, and blah, blah, blah. And, no, nah, they need a specific date. Now, I was fucking pissed off at these detectives. I'm going ballistic at these detectives saying, how do you catch these fucking pedophiles that do it to babies? Does the baby give you a fucking date? You know, like, it was just most bizarre freaking thing the way they handled this it was out of control what he said to me didn't come into account for some reason got me fucked why you know he flat admitted it to me I know for a fact that he admitted it to his mates and um, they fucking backed him they know he done it he told them he only did it once but they still backed him they're still friends today like, these men that I fucking idolised, called uncle, thought they were the fucking ducks nuts of humans, are backing this pedophile. Just absolutely disgusting, pathetic men. The amount of friends that I lost out of this, people that backed him, put their head in the sand, because he was the knight in shining armour. He was the fucking, he was the ducks nuts in everyone's eyes. And I believed him too. Like, I, honestly, I thought he was the knight in shining armour. And like I say... If he said that he didn't do it, I would have believed him over my sister. So I was um, getting towards the end of my trade, and obviously I fell apart. I fell, you know, I was just out of control, angry, trying to keep my family together. You know, my mum and sisters are now falling apart. My, my girlfriend and I, we fell apart. So they end up laying me off. They signed me off my my apprenticeship, so I became a qualified marine mechanic. But they laid me off, which I felt was fucking shithouse because I, you know, these people were like my family and the time I needed them the most, they laid me off. And that was fucked. My father had all the machinery out on site. He had one bobcat and truck at the property. He got a friend of his to call up and made me, told my mother to put the truck and bobcat out the road so he could come and get it. I said, no fucking way. 
I said, I'll get my truck licence and I'll use that to make a living for us. But mum just wanted it gone. She just did not want him coming near that property. So I put it out in the road. I actually, when I did that, I lined it up with the front gate and I sat in and I got my cruiser. And I lined up this, the door of this truck with my cruiser, a big run up. I just sat there for hours waiting for him to turn up to get this truck. And I was just going to pin the fucking throttle on that cruiser and just ram the bastard. Just ram him. Uh, I can thank my mate for stopping me do that. Come and uh, talk me out of that. It blew my mind um, how dumb a lot of people were with this. They said, like my own mates from school couldn't believe it. And they said, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Thing was, he didn't once try to prove his innocence at all. He never told anyone that he didn't do it. He told people he did it. He told the closest people to him that he did do it. Told his mother that he'd done it. His auntie rang me and said he'd done it, but two wrongs don't make a right. <clears throat> the only man that used his fucking head with this was like his business partner. I rang him and I said, this is what Dad's done. He goes, fuck, all right, I've got to talk to your father. I'll be in contact. So he organised a meeting with with me old man and he said look this is what I've been told what can you tell me and he goes look I can't talk about it my sister told me not to talk about it he said well you're good as done with me then you're guilty I just asked you if you've been raping your daughter and you want to look at me and say sorry I can't talk about it that's not what an innocent man does an innocent man will fucking till he's blue in the face try to express his innocence but he didn't do that just said, I can't talk about it. And this is what he said to my friends too. He said the same sort of thing to my friends. I said, go and ask him. Ask him if he done it. He goes, I did. He said, he can't talk about it. Just fucking idiots. Did not use their head. So all these people know. And the more I found out, the more I told the detectives. I said, this person knows. Name, number, address. There you go. I told everything. They sent police cars. They sent, they sent police cars out there to question them. They denied everything. I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. We live in a fucking world where people are so worried about their own fucking reputation, they'll protect a pedophile. And that's exactly what these people said to me. I tried to band them all together, all his mates. I said, I want to, you know, intervention him and, you know, and um, get him to confess to the police. And they said, hey, we know he's done it, but we have to live in this town. They still have barbecues today together. Fucking sick people. So our lives fell apart. They fell apart in a very big way. I had lost my job, lost my girlfriend. I couldn't get a job. I just could not get work. And I, you know, when he when he left, he he had all the machinery and he redirected money that was coming into the account. So mum's income just stopped. And. I thought, fuck, I've got to try and support my family. I've got to support you know, my mum and two sisters now. I couldn't get work. I couldn't get a job. And uh, mum's like, Daniel, you're going to have to go Sunlink. You know, you're going to have to go and get on the dole. I was like, no fucking way. I'm not getting on the dole. Not happening. Anyway, I couldn't get work. So she ended up taking me into Sunlink. And I was standing in line. I've got all these people in front of me. And I'm just looking at everyone. And I'm just standing in this line feeling like absolute worthless piece of shit. That's how I felt about myself. I said, fuck this. I turned around and walked back out again. And by the next day, I managed to get a job. I just, um, I never wanted to do this. I never wanted to swing, 
get on excavators or anything like that. I was good at it, but I didn't want to do it. But I just went and got a job swinging excavators. And um, then we had some money coming in. Found it very hard to work because I was still trying to support mum and me two sisters, you know, through this. And, you know, everyone obviously is falling apart. So a lot, lot of time I'm on the phone uh, trying to keep the girls having it, out of having panic attacks. I'm, you know, I've still got the property to look after. I've got cattle and all this shit going on. And just this absolutely overwhelming anger where all I want to do is kill a man. And it was scary for me to think that, you know, I was capable that I would. I could kill him. I'm not even fucking blinking an eye. It's like I had to wipe 21 years of my life. Every good memory, every good moment, every good story I've fucking got. I never spoke about them. I just wiped them. And um, in that first episode when I was talking about those stories, I'll just stop telling them because they're in it. He's, you know, he's in all my fucking good stories. Everything I'd done, it was with him. So that, yeah, so that was that. Um, we went on to, you know, like, the police wired me, you know, put a wire on me and I had to try and meet up with the old man and, and, because uh, he still sort of trusted me in a way that I talked to him and it was fucking hard. Like, we, I had to organise a meeting. I went and met him at a job site he was at. And uh, my best mate came with me, and and I met him at this job site, and I had the wired, I was wired up, and um, and I knew him. I just fucking lost my shit, abusing the shit out of him, and I'm screaming, "You're a fucking pedophile! You're fucking your own daughter!" And I'm going in front of all these council blokes. He didn't say a single word, didn't stop me. Now this is a big man; he could absolutely flat me right there and there. He didn't do a thing. Did not say a word. He goes, "I'll hear you out. I'll hear what you have to say." I can't say anything. I'm gonna. I'll hear you out though. Did not fucking defend himself, hey. And I'm fucking screaming, "You're a pedophile!" in front of all these, all these men he's working with. It was the most fucking shittest moment. All I wanted to do was kill him. I just wanted to get back in the cruiser and run him down. It's been so fucking hard to keep living with this because so much anger. So you know, every I dream about him. At least six nights out of seven. Some dreams are awesome where I've caught up with Dad, we're fishing, we're laughing, we're talking about, you know, things I've done, he's done, blah, blah, blah. It's like we're mates. And the next night it's a full-blown murder scene. Full-blown murder scene. I have just fucking gone to town on the bars and killed him. And um, this is just haunting me over and over again, these, these dreams. And he shows no remorse. He shows no remorse at all. You see him around the place. He has audacity to blow the fucking air horn on the truck as he drives past my sister as he's walking along a footpath. Just scum. This man I thought was just God is scum. And the mates of his, I just think they're fucking scum. So we'll talk about how I um, ended up working for myself and getting into business. Getting into business at you know only 21 years of age. Uh, I couldn't find work. I could not get work after, like, I, they laid me off from my marine apprenticeship. I couldn't find work. My mother said, Dan, you're going to have to go on Centrelink. So I can't, I'm not going on Centrelink. No fucking way. Anyway, things are getting too tight. And so I um, <clears throat> went to Centrelink. I'm in line. And I went, fuck this. I looked at everyone in line. I thought, nah, I'm just, I'm not, I don't want to be this person. I do not want to be in this line. So I turned around and walked back out. And I got a job the next day swinging excavators. Now, I never won the swing excavators or drive machines. I grew up with it. I was good at it. I could do it. But it's not something I wanted to do. 
you know, towards the end of my apprenticeship, I was off to fucking Long Island and the Whit Sundays to um, operate the water sports. That's where I was heading. But now, shit has turned to fucking shit, and I got a um, I got my mum, my two sisters, I got to think about. So I end up getting on excavators. So that led into me then working for another company who poached me, and um, they put me on a they put me on a site. It was an ergon energy site while transferring overhead power to underground. So they put me on this bobcat just backfilling the trench. And um, I was there for a few days. Good little job. Awesome crew. Getting along with everyone. And uh, one day there I woke up and had conjunctivitis. I could not open my eyes. My eyes were sealed shut. Oh, fuck. So I rung the boss and I said, mate, I can't come in. I fucking can't. You know, I can't bloody, um, I can't see. <coughs> and um, there's two owners of this company. And he goes, oh, fuck, right. Oh, fuck, I can't really find anyone. And I felt like a real arsehole. So I let it be, and I, no, nah, I said, no, fuck it, I'll drive and go in. So I washed my eyes, washed my eyes as best I could, and uh, jumped in, my cruiser, went to the yard, got the truck, and got to site. Now, because I was running late, I couldn't fuel up, so I had to just go to the survey there, and I was paid for the fuel myself, and um, went to the site. Well, I was at the site a couple of hours, and um, next minute, the other owner turns up, comes over to the Bobcat, and just goes fucking ape shit at me. Just ballistic. Could not believe what the fuck he was on about. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. He was just going ape shit. Anyway, I'm just sitting there frazzled. And he storms off. Jumps his car and takes off in a big rush. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? While he was doing this, uh, there was a heap of like uh, suits there, you know, for Ergon, looking at the trench, checking out the job, you know, more higher up sort of people. And one of them comes over and he goes, mate, what the fuck was that about? And I said, I got no idea. I'm fucking blown away. He goes, "Fuck that, man! No one needs to be spoken to like that. That's ridiculous." I said, "Well, can't do much about. It. I need the job. I'm fucking supporting my mum and sisters. I, you know, I just got to suck it up, I guess." There's no fucking way. He goes, "Go and buy your own bobcat, and you can buddy start back here tomorrow." Fuck that cunt. I said, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, you go buy your own bobcat. You can you can have his work." I go, "Fuck, fuck that," <laughs> and I went. Mate, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I said, but you got to understand, I am, you know, I'm supporting my mother and two sisters and um, I can't just, I can't just do that. And he goes, I said, I'll do it, but, you know, you got to fucking guarantee that you're going to put me on. He goes, yeah, my word. And he shook my hand. He goes, yeah, my word. You buy your own bobcat, you start back here as soon as you got it. And he goes, quit now. Take the truck back to the yard, tell the cunt to get fucked. And I said, I can't. i got all this open trench. I'll, I'll clean, I'll tidy this trench up and then I'll, you know, I'll go back to the yard. So I finished the day off, tied the trench up, took the, took the truck back to the yard, gave him the keys. There you go, mate. And I said, I'm done. He's like, oh, can we talk about it? I said, no, nothing to talk about. Oh, you know, all the best. So I walked out. Jumped on construction hub, found a bobcat in Gimpy, jumped to my cruiser, scooted down to Gimpy, looked at this bobcat. Yep, fuck it. I'll take it. Got it back up to Townsville on freight. Now, by all this time, it's a week's gone by, okay? And I got the bobcat ready, good to go. I rang him up, say, hey, mate, it's Dan. He's like, who? So it's, it's fucking it's Dan, young fellow with the bobcat. He goes, oh, oh yeah, how you going, man? Yeah, good. And I said, I bought a bobcat. He goes, you're fucking, you're joking. I said, no, I did. Oh fuck. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, my heart's pounding, thinking like, fucking, can hardly remember me. And like, I hope this is gonna happen. And he goes, yeah, right. Um. Yeah, right, I start tomorrow at the same site, eh? 
Are <laughs> you fucking kidding me? Yeah, just turn up. Seven o'clock. Yeah, same site. Awesome. So I borrowed my mate's truck, went to the site, unloaded, and um, my boss's bobcat's still there. One of his operators come over and goes, oh, what are you doing? So I'm taking over, bud. He goes, you're, you're fucking kidding. I said, no, I'm on. Yeah, I'm on, mate. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck? So he loaded up and I got into it, finished the job off. And that's how I started. I went from, you know, I was working six days a week with Ergon Energy um, on my own bobcat. So I had no truck at the time. I just borrowed my mate's flat top truck, but naturally I needed a tipper. So I went to the uh, Commonwealth Bank and they gave me a uh, they gave me a, a small business loan, and they give you an unsecured loan of twenty five grand. So I was managed to use that to buy a truck. I um I sold I sold my ski boat to fucking pay for the Bobcat, and um, yeah, I had an old an old ski boat that I flogged off, and I got the money for that. So I used that to buy the Bobcat, and then I yeah, ended up getting a truck, and away, and away I went. And I was loving it, but I was 21 years old. I was making six grand a week with the Bobcat, you know, through Ergon. And then on the weekend, I was selling dirt. So I'd gone from making, like, you know, a marine apprentice, third-year apprentice, and making, like, $450 a week to making fucking over six grand a week. I was just like, I was a fucking idiot with money. I was like, make it rain, bitches. You know, I was walking past buskers in the fucking club strip and giving them $100 notes. I was just a fucking out of control. So over time, I um, I was growing, I was growing the business. It was, it was good. I was getting good work. And I was, you know, making pretty good money, and I bought an old UD truck, and the old UD I bought off a bloke who could write a roadworthy. So he wrote me a roadworthy for this thing. He said, next year in twelve months' time, you got to get inspected. When it's due for inspection, come and see me, and I'll write you another one. I said, no worries. So I did twelve months with the old UD. Just fucking loved it. She was just a fucking weapon of an old truck. And um, come the 12 months, and I had to go over the pits, and they gave me, like, fucking, they gave me the slip, says, you got half an hour to get it home, that's it, she's off the road, she's not coming back on the road, they just grounded this vehicle, they said, she's too far gone, it was rust all through the chassis, she was fucked, so I've gone from fucking hero to zero, I had no fucking truck now, like, shit. So then I had to go and get finance. Now, I'm 22 this time, this age, and I need to get finance for a truck. Well, they wouldn't finance a truck anything uh, older than 2005 model. So anything I looked at was over 100 grand, straight up. They weren't going to give a 22-year-old bloke that's been in business 12 months, 20, you know, 100 grand. It was the biggest fucking battle of my life to get freaking finance. And I eventually found this bloke who uh, did finance for me, and we're still really good mates today. And I managed to buy uh, a pretty late model uh, International Eagle. So I had this fucking nice new, you know, newish truck, and I had air conditioning and fucking power steering and 18-speed Road Ranger. Oh god, it was fucking like heaven. And um, but then I had to work because now I got repayments, and I got bigger repayments on this fucking truck. So opportunities came up with the with the new truck that. I could work outside of Townsville, and I wanted to get out of Townsville too, to be honest. I, I love Townsville, I loved it my whole life, but obviously it now doesn't have the appeal, and cruising around Townsville all day with my bobcat and truck and having to pass my old man's bobcats and trucks and going to job size where his fucking gear would be there too it was just just the biggest kick in the guts, and it made a really long day. So I was pretty happy when I scored this work, you know, uh, outside of Townsville on this railroad upgrade. 
and um, that turned that led into me getting a second truck. And next minute, I've got a heap of work in my cars. I've got two trucks in the Bobcat now, and then things just things were booming in my car. Like it was fucking nuts. Now I swore I'd never leave Townsville, and um, but I fell in love with my car. It's just you know, natural rolling green hills. It was cooler. It was just it was just a fucking nice place. And I had work coming out of my ass. So another truck turned another truck. Then I bought a brand new Bobcat. Then I bought an excavator. Then I bought another excavator. Then I thought, fuck it, I'll buy a thousand acres. And it's just, it just went nuts. Went nuts for me. And um, in that time, we had to do property settlement back in Townsville. So had to buy my father out of the property in Townsville. Now, that was fucked. Because here we are, I'm still trying to fight the legal side of things of what he did with to my sister, which is getting nowhere. But we have to do property settlement, which is a totally different thing. So we had to go sit in the courtroom uh, across from him and talk about property settlement. And the look of evil on this fucking man's face. We just we just dested each other the whole time. Just evil. So it came down to we had to pay him out. So we had to pay him out um, 300 grand. He got to keep all the business, the money that he redirected, and um, all the income, and we had to give him 300,000 cash on top of that. So we had to negotiate that, and then he threw in at the end. Oh, but I want, I want Daniel's ski boat too. So we had a nice fucking ski boat together. I said, "Yep, you can have the fucking boat, but I'm not sure you're going to want the cunt." She may have done a few red lines in the shed with no water, which you know. So I had the mortgage. I was I was racking up debt real quick. So I had the mortgage in Townsville. I had a fair bit of machinery now that you know, payments on that. I ended up buying the thousand acres in Mackay, so I had mortgage on that. And um, it got to the stage where by the time I was 25 years old, I was $1.6 million in debt. And I had to make a minimum of $33,000 a month uh, just to cover repayments. Now, that wasn't fuel or wages or living, you know, uh, just for my wife and I living. There was nothing like that. That was just the repayments, $33,000 a month. Lots of, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and that did not help my eyes. So that's what... You know, going through all this with the old man, I'm still fucking got this eye condition. But this eye condition just had to go on the back burner. I had to work. I had to fucking make a life. I had to, you know, I was on a mission to fucking prove this cunt wrong, prove the world wrong, that Dan's got this now. Dan's now the man of the house. I'm going to fucking show you how it's meant to be done. So totally neglected my health. My eyes were just not thought of. You know, drinking ridiculous, eating ridiculous. Um... And like, you know, I could feel my eyes getting worse over over the years. Now, every year I'd go for a medical, uh, for my license. And it would never change. Every year they'd, you know, I'd have to do like a field test and they'd see how bad your peripheral vision was. Now, it never really changed between the years. Night vision was always terrible, but it never really changed. And, and um, so 2013, I had to go in and get my, um, you know, my yearly test. And he said, mate, you're done. You're done. You're not, you can't drive no more. And I was looking, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he goes, no, you can't, we're, we're going to take your license. I said, I just bought a new cruiser three days ago. He's like, well, give it back. <laughs> You're done. You're done. And I'm like, I was just fucking blown away. I was just like, what the fuck? You know, like, I've got an earth-moving business. I said, mate, just take my truck license. And he goes, you got a truck license? He goes, you never meant to have a fucking truck license. I'm like, oh, yeah, right, oh, well, I've got, got a fair few of those fuckers. So it really made life hard to have an earth moving company, no license. So I ended up employing this young fella to drive me around <coughs> uh, full time. He was only seventeen, and and um, yeah, he just had to become my 
my chauffeur. So I ended up giving that cruiser to an operator and I bought a um, dual cab Hilux that I could turn into a rolling office with a fridge. I didn't drink a lot. And um, yeah, away, away we went. So I just had a driver full time. But there was a lot of times there where I had to keep getting back in machines or trucks because operators just wouldn't turn up. They wouldn't turn up and fuck me. It made it really hard to, <laughs> you know. And me being me like, go on, I'll just drive this fucking bastard. So, if I'm being honest, when they took my license from me, yes, it was a pain in the ass, especially because of the line of work I was in, but in a way, I did feel relieved. Um, I could tell my eyes were getting pretty bad, and I was really starting to doubt myself uh, when driving. You know, there's plenty of times there I'd be in the truck uh, cruising down the highway, and, um, you know, like I'd, I'd pass an ambulance going back the other way, sirens blaring, and I would freak. I would just freak out thinking, fuck, I've hit someone and don't even know. And um, I'd stress, I'd stress something chronic. Um, and that was happening a lot. And there'd be plenty of times where I'd be at a job and it'd run late and I'd have to go into the night. And as soon as that sun went down, fucking hell, I'd, you know, zero night vision. So it made it really hard. Uh, there was plenty of cases where I was at a job and I'd have to ring a mate to come pick me up, come and drop the truck home for me. I wanted the staff to come and drive the truck home. It was, um, yeah, so it wasn't that, wasn't that, sorry when they took my license to be honest it was a bit of a relief so I ran the earth movement company for another couple of years and it was it just got harder and harder because feel my eyesight was getting worse um you know I had to pay someone full time driving around like I was saying staff weren't turning up and you know next minute I'm in a truck or I'm on an excavator for the day and it was very stressful it was very stressful and by the end of the day I was absolutely exhausted from concentrating so much to keep working I started selling the gear off you know I was I was in over my head and I thought, I've got, I've got to get out of this. So I started selling all the machinery off. And I got down to only having um, two excavators and the semi left. So I had a, uh, a wheeled excavator, 20-ton wheeled excavator and a 6-ton track machine. Just when they were about to sell, the cyclone hit your poon and gave me an opportunity to take the gear down there. And, um, you know, you can make a lot of money at that sort of work. So I put the uh, I put the diggers straight on the float and took them down to your poon. And I did another six months' work uh, down there. Probably only a month into the job in Yapoon, the operator quit, and I had no operator for the 20-ton excavator, so I had to jump on it. And I ended up operating that excavator for about six months every day, and it was so fucking stressful. But because the 20-ton excavator I bought was on wheels and not tracks, I just drove around like it was my car. So that was pretty cool, because I still have an excavator license, but I didn't have a car license. Mind you, if I got pulled over, I would have been screwed, but I managed to go through six months just driving this excavator around Yapoon like it was my car and managed to uh, keep going, you know, bringing money in. But long days, very stressful. Um, my son was only two weeks old when I had to leave to go down to Yapoon, and I only seen him once a fortnight for a few hours. It was um, it was fucking really hard, six months. It got to the stage where I just couldn't handle it anymore. By the end of the day, I was just a nervous wreck and just so fatigued from concentrating all day swinging the excavator. So I said to my wife at the time, I said, I just I can't do it anymore. So... I had the opportunity to sell the machines in there, so I did. Sold them up. The work had come, the job had sort of come to an end, so I just sold the excavators, and that was that. That was the that was the end of the Earth Moving Company, and it was a really weird feeling that day. I put the last excavator on the truck and watched it drive away. I um, I turned to the young fellow that I had driving for me, and I went, "Oh fuck!" He goes, "What?" I said, "Well, what now?" I said, "I've got you know, you know, I was still in a lot of debt. I still had the properties, so there was still a lot going on." I said, "Oh, anyway, you're fired." <laughs> So there's no need to have a driver anymore. So I let him go and 
yeah, I didn't really know what I was gonna do, but I um went back to went back to Mackay where where my wife and son were, and um and we went down to Gold Coast, and I went and got some acupuncture treatment for my eyes. And while I was down there, we went for a ride on the aqueduct. So we're sitting on this aqueduct, and I and I counted how many people are on it and how much we paid and. I turned to my wife and I said, fucking hell, these pricks have just made a thousand bucks. They're making a thousand bucks an hour. I said, I'm going to buy one of these. Well, she just rolled her eyes and said, yeah, righto, whatever. Well, I found one while I was on the tour. I found an aqueduct uh, for lease or sale in Darwin. So we got back off the tour, flew back to Townsville. I jumped on the plane, flew to Darwin. And, um, yeah, I did a, did a deal on this on this aqueduct. I signed a lease, three year lease, so I had to get a heap of permits in place to run it in Ely Beach. And that was a that was an unbelievable ride. That was a massive roller coaster. You know, I was still in big debt. I didn't really have much money in the in the account to get this aqueduct thing and thing happening off the ground. But by the time I managed to make it happen, and by the time we were rolling down the main street of Ely Beach, we only had a couple hundred bucks in the account. You know, we were in a well financially, we we're pretty fucking stressed. And um, I remember looking at the ex-wife and we, she said, oh, God, Daniel, I hope this works. And it did, and we hit the ground running. It was fucking awesome. It was an awesome business. Um, unfortunately, I had a lot of debt still you know, accumulated from the Earth Moving Company, so whatever that business made, it really went into paying debt, so it took a long time to ever get ahead. Uh, the eyesight was getting worse and worse over those years, and um, it got a bit too hard for me to work on the duck um, as a deckhand, because the whole point of a deckhand is if you know we have an accident or whatever, and we're gonna we're sinking. I have to be able to rescue people. Well, I couldn't rescue myself, and playing Marco Polo for fucking thirty screaming pen- pensioners wasn't my idea of fun. So I ended up putting staff on the duck bus, which obviously took away a lot of profits. Um, you know, running two staff now for every tour, but it's still a very good business, a very fun business. I um, I definitely found my element there. It was so unreal to be one day I'm swinging you know swinging excavators and the next day I'm holding a microphone uh, entertaining up to 150 people a day that was unreal but I was in my element I fucking loved being in tourism and um, I would love to get back into that sort of industry or even just into entertaining people it was great uh, through that time I wanted to try and get as many different businesses as I could because like I my eyesight was getting pretty bad and I thought I need to get multiple levels of income here so I I ended up starting up a uh, a pole dancing studio, a pole fitness studio. Now that wasn't because I know how to pole dance, and um, this is one of my staff, one of the strippers that I had working for us. She wanted one of one of these studios, and I thought it'd be a good thing for my wife, you know, to um, go in with. And it all sounded sweet, so we built it. But then the wife and I separated. So now I got a fucking pole dancing studio that I know nothing about, and dealing with those sorts of staff are fucking painful. And um, so I eventually ended up selling the studio to a couple of the instructors. They wanted to buy me out, so they bought me out. But I had a, I opened up an acupuncture clinic as well next door to that. You know, I was spending up to a thousand dollars a week on acupuncture at stages, and I thought, fuck this, I want my own clinic, get it done for free, and try and make some money out of it. Again, I know nothing about that sort of industry. Um, so employing people in that industry was a bit out of my league, and I took on took on these projects that. I didn't know anything about, and I learned a lot with that in business, is that do not dive into something you know nothing about, because it's probably not going to work out, so. 
ended up closing down the acupuncture studio and a friend of mine he had a phone repair shop and he was in a bit of a bad way mentally and he wanted to get out so i i bought him out of the phone repair shop and i started that up now that was a great business that was fucking awesome it was a you know licensed print money people love their phones and will go to great lengths to keep their phone going so i didn't mind the phone shop um, i had staff at that but again staff are very unreliable so before you know it I was fixing phones as well and legally blind bloke trying to fucking fix phones those screws are tiny I had a big bucket of spare screws and uh, it just got too hard it got too hard I had all these businesses happening it got to a stage there where there was one day they had like no staff anyone so I had to go and do a tour on the duck bus run back fix the phone go back do a tour on the duck bus run back and fix the phone that was a long day and it was fucked so, 1 out of 10, do not recommend doing that. It got to the stage where it was just getting all too much mentally. I was falling apart. Like, the the feeling of going blind and struggling and the staff and all the stress of it all was just getting way too much for me mentally and I was miserable. I was just so miserable. So, I sold a lot. I sold everything I had. And, uh, you know, managed after a lot of battling to get into a debt-free life and... I really do not ever want to go back into debt like that again. It was just the most stressful, wasteful years of my life, I feel. And if I could have my time again, I'd definitely do things a lot different. But, you know, I live and learn. So from from all these businesses, I, you know, sold up, came up to Townsville. I went into doing a lot of buying and selling. There was very good money to be made in buying and selling. So I, I bought and sold everything from the way of tractors to cars to boats to motorbikes to anything you think of would buy and sell and you can do very well out of it it's not a very rewarding job i didn't like the whole working on my own i do rather live with uh, work with people but it's um it's a good way to make a living but not very rewarding so this is where i've got to the stage now where i want to ramp up this uh, blind man dan bring some smiles to the world and try and have a good time doing it you know i've got my dreams i want to i want to potentially i want to hopefully do this from a from a houseboat so i'm hoping this sort of podcasting can take off merch sales go up and yeah i can i can live my dream on a houseboat doing doing the podcast and the merch sales and the giveaways and just and just trying to just trying to bring some light and happiness to the world so that is my mission now guys to charge on and see what see what else is the next step and try and live the best i can with these eyes it's it's getting very hard on me mentally dealing with these eyes every day and this is a good outlet for me talking to a microphone talking to you guys it's, it is a very good outlet for me because um, mentally it's really knocking me around with the eyes and i've got to find anything any i've got to try and find a way to keep pushing forward and getting up every day that's yeah guys that's pretty much my story so follow along we i've got some awesome i've got some cracking guests coming on here from all walks of life and i can't wait to share the stories uh with you guys of some of the people I've got coming on the show. So let's see what we can grow it to. And I just appreciate you all listening this far and, and backing me. It's, you know, can't thank you all enough for the support I've been given since uh, starting this venture. So we'll keep on trucking on and see what we can make this thing into. All right, legends, have a cracking Friday. <laughs>